You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our returning guest, Kyle Wright of Theofantine Discs and Dysthemia. What's happening, Kyle? Hey. Uh, good. How are you guys? We are we doing are great. Good. I like that we did it together. It's like, you, you know what? Jinx, Gray, you owe me. <laughs> I don't know what you owe me. You owe me something. Coke Zero. Yeah. There you go. You said it's. You said the new flavor is great. So I think that they, you know they just reformulated that Coke Zero, and uh, not mad at it. New sponsor of the podcast. So Coke thanks. Zero, perfect. <laughs> awesome. A world of burps in our future. Well, it's different rates for for Coke Zero and for uh, noise labels. Yeah. <laughs> but today we are going to discuss the recently released Jonathan Briley box set that Kyle released. And we thought it'd be cool to discuss the box set as a whole, how it came together, the the background on putting something like this together. Thought it'd be a interesting chat. So we're excited to dig into that. But before we do, of course, we've got to do some recent listening. Gray, what have you been listening to? Got that uh, Bomb the Day Nursery Primitive Perversions 4LP box set. And so that was going in my ears the other day. Very strange, you know. I've listened to a lot of Brighter Death now. Definitely one of the first bands I got into this, and and I think I mentioned when we did Four Life, that was one of those early tapes I heard. Also getting into noise stuff. I'm sure but, I've mentioned it before, but the first time I ever came over to your place, the one thing I distinctly rem- remember is that you had the Brighter Death now balloon. In your room. So I always associate you with Brighter Death. Now, I'm Same. sure I've mentioned that before, but yeah, why not mention it again? Oh, yeah. That was from that uh, Friday the 13th show in Chicago that they made uh, like silver and black Mylar balloons that were filled with helium. I don't know where that is now. Wow. I'd love to have that. I did find my old uh, Great Death long sleeve that I got from Relapse in the late 90s the other day. <laughs> so <Nice>. cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Very excited to turn that up. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a weird thing because it's not Little Roger and it's not kind of what we would think of as Brighter Death Now by any standard of the the sort of Brighter Death Now catalog. It's, it just has a different feel that's sort of hard to qualify for that material. Um, Kyle, you've, you've heard this box, yeah? Um, it's actually in the mail to me right now. Okay. Um, so I haven't heard it, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, I have one of the the tapes that's on it i think a lot of the stuff is actually previously un- unreleased yeah Can't. some of it definitely is there there were some releases but i think if they pulled out some uh some strange oddities for it too yeah and i like roger um released one of those tapes on cmi the only digital release on cmi back on his birthday in 2004 <laughs> Put it oh, on the wow. CMI website mm-hmm. as an MP3, as a free MP3 download. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's I highly recommended if you're a fan. It's an interesting uh, sort of point of progress between the projects, I feel like. And I'm always down to hear what Roger's doing. Just one of the best to ever do it. And, you know, I've been in a real field recording zone lately. I've mentioned a few records over the past. And if you follow us on Instagram, you probably saw a two-day blitz where I was asking for field recording recommendations from everybody there. And they 
I posted is, you know, a ton of them that people sent and checked out a few of those tracks here and there, nothing fully. But I was also listening to some stuff on my own, which was Chris Watson's L Train Phantasma, which is his field recordings of trains and locations sort of, uh, I believe, manipulated into these pieces. Uh, Chris Watson of early on Cabaret Voltaire and uh, should probably also mention we lost Richard H. Kirk recently and uh very very sad to hear that but this chris watson stuff is is really great and kind of i feel like one of the biggest known names in field recording now he's got kind of a reach outside of those of us that just listen to <laughs> to field recordings and and weird noise and also listen to vagina dentata organs unchen catalan which is his cd of Recordings of his uh, friend who, like his friend's Harley Davidson, like his friend riding his motorcycle and revving the motorcycle engine. And lots of crude, like wind in the mic and everything. That one is so strange. And video is one of those projects that's always just seems so strange for me. I mean, my introduction was that music for Hashishans, and that's like pitched dog growls on a sampling keyboard <laughs> that's why it's like completely uh i don't know have, just you, a, have you seen the live performance of that on tv yeah where he where he's got the on actual the, like german shepherds there and he slashes yeah. the paintings it's amazing yeah. that's so <laughs> wonderful yeah i love that video <laughs> and it's it also looks like nothing's quite working right on the equipment end. like he <laughs> yeah. like, tries to set a rock on the keyboard and it falls off so it stops playing and stuff it's really it's a great <laughs> video but yeah uh so kind of a weird field recording zone for those things. And, uh, and then before we were recording this, I threw on the nay knee comp may remember a couple episodes ago, I had mentioned getting the nay she comp, but this is a uh, same in, in the same series band production, 1990, I want to say. And this has uh well, a killer S core track on it. Some work by Againstment. Uh, I only got through the first side before we are doing this episode. So the B side will be, uh, you know, got that in store for me afterwards. You know, I got this tape came out in 1990. The copy I got, uh, I just recently acquired this, uh, didn't have the tape labels punched out, which, you know, had one of those like glued over rectangles on so it. I love that I, so much. I hate them so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does feel, it feels you have those like, well, do I ruin okay. this? Do you do yeah. Yeah, you if don't want to do a bad job. I basically we have Tara do ours because I mangle it and it's so the bad. The one where Mike poked it out with a red ink pen and you can see the was, like lines. It was from my the younger, red ink my younger, pen. dumber days. I just and he just was, jammed uh, a red pen through it. It's it's maniacal. Horrible, horrible. I mean, I I, I I use an exacto knife, but even then, it's, mm-hmm. it's never perfect enough. <laughs> what you do is you push yeah. you push the holes in with your thumb to make a nice indent. <laughs> And uh-huh. then you slice across and push them in further, and then you rim the exacto around them. That's yeah, how I go around mine. the edge, but it's not always perfect. Because then, what if the exacto catches, or there's like some glue under it, and you get a little snag, and then you have a little bump? The yeah. secret to an exacto, and and to any knife when doing this kind of stuff for me is to keep Sharp. it moving. Don't just swirl it around. 
push it inwards or pull it skills? out. I'm not. Hey, I'm sure. Hey, if it were a wheel of cheese, I would have me. zero questions that it would be. But I no, know seriously. To cut things. <laughs> I'm just saying, keep that keep that knife in motion. You can't just leave it stationary. I'm not saying this to you. Mm. I'm saying this to all listeners. We appreciate the feedback. I, I mean, or you could just take a pen and just jab it through. It's absolutely up to you. It's still I've, plays. To you. I've definitely received some where it was clear that they just shoved it in the tape deck. Oh yeah, oh, I see. I yeah. Thought of that. <laughs> Classic that's style when it's just been popped in the tape deck. Yeah. No, but I like uh, that. You know, you, you, kind of like you said, uh, you know, do I ruin it? And I, I have to say, playing a noise tape is never ruining it. Like you have to leaving it unplayed would be ruining it, right? Oh no, I, I mm-hmm. agree for sure. I for sure. Yes. I always. <laughs> uh, also, like when people, it's I feel it's less now, but there was a time when people would put record labels would get blank labels, but then put stickers and it would be over the, over the hole. I yeah. feel like those are easier. Those I will just pop right on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. They smooth yeah. out eventually. Yeah. Um, I don't worry about those so yeah. much. There's like a device on the turntable to make that happen. But I feel like the tape ones, if you just shove it in a tape deck, you might get some paper in there. It's sticker yeah. paper. They might've used some weird glue. No good. Anyway, <laughs> enough <laughs> tirade about, uh, Holeless labels. <laughs> Kyle, what have you been listening to? Um, so I've been listening to the uh, new ORD or Ord and Murderous Vision collaboration that just came out on Live Bait. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. It's really awesome and um, just kind of a, a neat intersection of the ritual stuff that ORD does and Stephen's more death industrial styled stuff. So it really rides that line nicely uh great release i agree a friend had brought up internal fusions album from the mid 90s on stall plot om varia sattva whom hey good you did good yeah it's a good one (laughs) um i i I hadn't listened to it in some years so i've given it three listens in the past three days so wow i don't know this one yeah it's very it's very kind of ritualistic and I really enjoy the stuff that he does. This is maybe the most kind of ritualistic of them. And also, um, uh, tape self-released by Orphix, uh, called primordial state, which is live material from the mid nineties. Dude. So good. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I mean, I love that material, but I wasn't expecting the live stuff to sound as good as it does. So I was impressed by it. Such a good project. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Connelly's, what about you? Well, like the last episode, we are going to defer our recent listening to a listener. And like the last episode, don't know who it's going to be. Nope. So, <laughs> hey, take it away, whoever you are. Hello, Noise Extra. My name is Nikolai, and I want to talk to you about my recent listening. First off, I'll talk about this self-titled God is War tape on Denver State. Uh, this one, if you have the means, check it out on his band camp. Max always putting out your goodness, either as God is a war or in Terrace unit. It's like, man, how does, how is he doing this? You know, I'm looking at my ear rack. I'm looking at his ear rack. I'm trying to figure it out. It's uh, great. Next I'll talk about this crawl unit, seven inch, uh, malfunction for orchestra. I recently picked this up, uh, trip to San Francisco and very pleased with it. And also very scared of it. Uh, it's scary. You know, yeah, there's an orchestra, but they're kind of stuttering. It's like, they're trying to figure out, how to play, but also how to scare you. It's Lynchian. 
in a good way. That's on Ant Zen. And last to talk about this veterans tape called Just For You. That's on Chondritic Sound. And I picked this one up recently at Rubicon in LA. Uh, this one reminded me a bit of Irreversible, a bit of Climax, uh, two films by Gaspar Noe, for a few reasons, but I don't want to give it away because it's, it's uh, great if you find out for yourself by checking out the film, checking out the tape. Goes places, definitely. And wherever those places are, I'll be there. Thanks. Thank you, whoever you are. That was fantastic. Wonderful and job, we person. we will continue our listener listenings as the episodes go on and actually really we've been listening to the jonathan briley box set a lot leading up to this episode so that is awesome. really been <laughs> it's our, a lot to go through it's a lot yeah. to dig many into but before we really dig into it a quick word from our sponsors in 2001, Trugatronic invented the multi-channel tabletop audio controller, a joystick version, C4i, Iron Cross, and the button version, C4b Suppressor, are cloned by many and equaled by none. 20 years later, the subhumans pulled the pin on the mother of all analog controllers, the C36 Revolution. See it at Trugatronic.com. Jonathan Briley. This is an imposing box to dig through in a way. It is seven discs and... Six tapes and a collection of compilation tracks and other stuff? Yeah, yeah. So um, he did a total of six tape releases um, and also a split tape and a bunch of compilations. So we've got that split tape and the comps on the last CD and then all the other tapes on their own CDs. Why don't we give, for those unfamiliar, a quick introduction to Jonathan Briley? Jonathan started recording stuff in 85, um, based out of the Boston area and um, soon became affiliated with uh, Sleep Chamber, released those six tapes and comp tracks and then dropped out in uh, 90 or 91. I mean, his, his tapes have been hugely influential on a lot of people and his, his live performances. They've been hugely important for me since I first heard his work 20 years ago but a hard guy to track down. Yeah, and how did you come to his stuff originally? What was the first tape that you heard? I was just thinking about this last night, what it would have been. The first track I would have heard would have been on the Broken Flag Morality comp. Right. It didn't really register with me at the time because it's only a one-minute track. I then heard his track on um, the Musica Venene compilation, which is a great fucked-up track. I think it was a guy on eBay was selling a bunch of stuff. And then he sold a bunch of things to me off of eBay, including half of the Briley tapes. And then I got wow. some from another guy, the rest. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> that and is mo a great find. Most of the tapes being released on inner X music, but one of the tapes being on broken flag and one yeah. of the few American artists to work with broken flag. There weren't very many American artists working with Broken Flag at the time. Um, I mean, Controlled Bleeding and Dog is Master and later Agog, but I think that's kind of it. Yeah, it's 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 generally it was you know, UK and, and other European acts. Yeah. Do you know how Jonathan got in touch with those guys? You know, I, I asked him and he could not remember how he got in touch with Gary Mundy. Yeah, I don't know if there was some connection since Controlled Bleeding did a few things on Interx early on, 
yeah, so it might be a mystery. I think I read somewhere where Gary Mundy couldn't quite remember either how he got in touch with him. It just happened. Yeah. Uh-huh. It just appeared one day. Yep. Nobody knows how it happened. Yeah. Uh-huh. They simultaneously received letters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he basically disappeared in, like you said, in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, for 20 years, I've kind of tried to locate him, but it's been difficult because a there's another person with the same name. Absolutely. Who is the famous falling man from 9-11, who's about the same age, who has Massachusetts connections, and who worked as an audio engineer. Exactly. Yes, it makes it so difficult. You can yeah. even search music and noise, and you still just get the other. Jonathan Riley. And I guess that the images of the falling man uh, upset people on Instagram, so they have banned the Jonathan Riley hashtag. So it's it's even wow. more difficult. Didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So how then did you finally get in touch with him? And were and had you had the idea to do this box set when you tried to get in touch with him, or did it happen as you got in touch with him? How did it all go down? A guy I know, um, a friend of mine in Michigan, Knox, who runs um, the Easy Listening label. We, yeah, we all we all know Knox from back from living there. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who's put out stuff by Hunting Lodge and Shame Exposure? I had made some comment online about wanting to get in touch with Jonathan, and he managed somehow to find Jonathan's address. Wow. And or what he thought might be his address. Sure, sure. Mm, a yeah. Shot in the dark. Maybe it yeah. is. Yeah. And I've done those kind of cold letters before where it's like, I don't know if this is you, da, da, da. Um, And usually get, well, and have always got no response. So I sent a letter like offering to to release this box and telling him that I enjoyed his music and that people wanted to hear it. (laughs) And I had totally forgot that I put my phone number on the letter. Mm -hmm. And a few weeks later... I get a phone message and I listen to it and it's like, holy shit, it's Jonathan Briley calling me, telling me that he'd love to talk about it and that he didn't know anyone listened to this anymore. Wow. It's crazy. You probably were like, oh, this is more spam. Whatever. <laughs> Just ignore it. Yeah. I'll listen to the voicemail. Wow. Uh-huh. wow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he's now a really good friend of mine um, and because that was uh, last summer. It was in the works for a year and very time consuming, but so incredible that I got in touch. Um, And he's really excited and surprised by the great response it's getting. Did he provide all these great photos in the liner booklet? He provided the his Church of Satan membership card picture and Mm -hmm. the um, uh, Zen Buddhist priest picture. He was unfortunately unable to locate the originals of the other pictures and those i took from a a sleep chamber live booklet that came out in 1990 did the best that we could um, with what we had because he hadn't seen or heard this material in 30 years i mean did he have any indication that that there i mean like you said he was shocked that anyone would still care did he have any knowledge of current 
industrial noise that there would be. Even... I mean, he's, he still listens to like dark ambient and, and industrial mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. Um, and um, follows some of it. Not so much right. noise and stuff. Um, right, right. But uh, I think he told me he's a fan of cyclic law. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was kind of crazy to hear that he still keeps up with some of it. But, right. Uh, well, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. But I, I don't think he really had any understanding of there still being interest in in older stuff, especially more underground older stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow, that's so cool. And so the now it says that there was unable to locate any of the original masters, correct? So everything was taken off the cassettes. Then yeah, everything was taken off uh, my copies of the cassettes. Um, I mean, sound amazing. Oh, yeah, you cannot yeah, tell. I would, at all. Yeah, I would never have known that. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it thanks. Wasn't yeah, from an original I, I spent like days and days and days remastering her weeks. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, it sounds. It sounds like the um, Inner X Masters were lost at some point, um, and the one compilation track that uh, Ron Lassard put out, he doesn't have the master for that. And right. I think the broken flag ones are long gone too. Uh, it was just different back then. Th- the idea of keeping a master wasn't really, I feel so much stuff from the eighties and the nineties. Mm-hmm. It was just not the idea of keeping the master and even what is the master? Yeah, like how yeah. Is, it, is it a cassette? Even on, is, yeah. You know, so I feel that now obviously there's the ease of maybe keeping a file, mm-hmm. et cetera, is, you know, somewhat easier. I mean, I certainly don't have half the 75% of the masters. <laughs> we I, have, I imagine we the, have tape box with a bunch of, semi-labeled cassettes yeah. and a lot Maybe of them say masters. master on the top. But what yeah, does that uh-huh. even mean? Because it's the uh, master what? cassette that yeah. would have been made to dub, but so it wouldn't actually be really the be the master yeah, yeah. recording. So I'm sure in the 80s and 90s, there was no thought yeah. to keep that Or they have a of box stuff. of hundreds of tapes that all say master on them and you're like, can you find it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one. <laughs> I'm working on a reissue project and I got sent four master tapes with actual releases on them and also compilation tracks and unused material. And then, but none of it was in order and there were small handwritten notes with it. I had to enlarge (laughs) the notes on my Xerox to figure out where things were to like find track splits and the durations and then compare them and then put them in the right order and name them all. And, uh, yeah, even when things are well documented, sometimes it can be a little confusing. Uh-huh. I, I label all my dub masters. I keep all my files very organized for this stuff. And I try to label all my four track masters and even what's on that track. Cause you will just forget. You're, you've <laughs> always been much yeah, better. You're, you're better. I, I would that. say that in the past few years, we have, we have certainly improved our labeling, keeping masters, et cetera. But, Back in the early days, it was there was yeah. No in the early days, I it. would be like, "We need to catalog this," so I would throw it in a shoebox. You know what right. I mean? It was the most half-assed thing you could ever do. Well, yeah. you don't want to get Not- mixed up with the other tapes, but then you like, yeah. what do you yeah. do from it's, there? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's a nightmare. Now, did you also have all the comps as well? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and, and actually the um uh two of the comp tracks were released on both uh vinyl and cassette. Um and I had both and tested them both and the cassette ones sounded better, so I went with those. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I of the one track taken from vinyl, um uh I actually had two copies and so I took the one from the uh, less shitty sounding copy. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Wasn't such a great pressing to begin with. So yeah. And it was actually a, a copy that I had never played. So I don't know if it had ever been played. So, <laughs> Hey, I gotta say, I, I almost think that comp CD might be my favorite CD in the box. Sometimes it, it's like that. Sometimes comp CDs, you know, mm-hmm. collecting those materials sometimes have a disjointed feel, but this doesn't. This feels just like one of the other tapes. Yeah. Um, it, Jonathan actually mentioned that because um, I asked him, like, what, like, listening back to these, um, what's your favorite? And he said, well, I think he's like, I think my favorite of the tapes would be uh, Loss of Innocence, the one on Broken Flag. So and he good. said, but my favorite CD is that compilation one. Yeah, it's great. So, yeah. The and eighth it, track is just insane. The long, thin line between oh, a whisper and a scream. God, yeah. I love that so much. It's great. Yeah. I think also, too, sometimes when you work on a comp track, you're working specifically, you take all your time to work on one track. And then when you have multiple, you put them together. It's a whole... Mm-hmm. CD of tracks you spent probably a little more time on than maybe a full tape. So maybe that's one of the reasons it comes off. I don't know, but yeah. something about that one, it it's, it's really mm-hmm. nice. And it, it fit perfectly 79 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And wow. or, originally I was stressing over that because on one of the compilation tapes, there's an intro track that is credited to Jonathan so I was trying to fit that on there and it was like 80 minutes and nine seconds. And I'm like, God damn. So I was, mm. I had moved stuff all around, but then I realized that intro track is actually like the first 90 seconds of one of the other compilation tracks. Oh, <laughs> perfect. So, yeah. Oh man. Let that little sliver <laughs> out. Perfect. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Now, were you familiar with Sleep Chamber before you came to the Jonathan Briley tapes? No, I was actually into Jonathan's stuff before Sleep Chamber from the uh, the Briley stuff that I got into some of the Sleep Chamber stuff um, and the other projects um, affiliated with Interax, like Hideous and Strength and Noise Clot. Was your idea always going to be CDs? The, to do the yeah. CD box just because of the, I mean, the tapes are all basically an hour, right? Yeah. Only the, like a couple are more like, like 50 minutes, but right, still but they're full. Yeah. I think for an archival release, like I always think CD is preferable, at least for myself. Wanted to put it out there at a reasonable price too, rather than a, you know, $350, 12 LP box set whatever <laughs> yeah, like a four-year project right yeah it. yeah at this yeah. point yeah we, we'd see the light of day at about 2030 exactly. yeah. yeah how'd you go about designing the box itself did you work with someone do you know how to do this in general is this something that you farmed out what was the process of the um, actual I, assembly 
I did it all myself. Um, <laughs> and actually, like, I think only about 10 people even knew about this until I released it. Yeah, so it was a matter of scanning in the original cassettes, uh, cleaning them up, uh, finding an appropriate font. And I found a really, uh, nerd alert, but I found a really cool um, typewriter type font that does not repeat the, the, the letters the same way every time. It adds randomization. Nice. So, <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, so uh, worked on it, and uh, my wife gave me feedback on layout because sometimes I <laughs> suck at that as far as you know spacing and whatnot. I'm really happy with how it turned out, and Jonathan didn't even want to see a copy of it until he had it in his hands. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. He was like so excited by it. He really trusted so, you. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was a huge thing. Um, I I went back and forth with him about um, some of the track titles to make sure that they were spelled correctly because mm -hmm. there were some mistakes um, on the originals. So like the the broken flag tape had his name misspelled on it. <laughs> right, Jonathan. Right. <laughs> yes. So uh, with some creative uh, graphic design work, I. Uh, copied the first A and popped it over there. <laughs> <laughs> because because when with the tape releases, it's the same. It's the fonts and the writing that was on the original tape releases. Yeah, correct? yeah, yeah. So I use the his name and the release use the same fonts from the originals. Seamless. We're looking at well, it right yeah, now. Yeah, we had to wouldn't pull it out. Wouldn't have known. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you wouldn't even know. It used to be. It was a lot of fun putting that together and going through all this ar archival stuff because I have I have a bunch of booklets and everything. So thankfully, some some friends helped with sourcing a, a few items. Like there's a review from Sweden in there uh, from a Spanking Housewives catalog in the '80s for the the Broken Flag tape. Is that uh, is that from Christian Olsen? Yeah, That's how yeah. He's thanked in there. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. He supplied that. So. There was a VHS compilation that I didn't own that had a Jonathan Briley track on it. A friend loaned it to me so I could get it transferred and make sure that it was not exclusive music. So, yeah, we went everywhere we could to uh, make sure it was complete. Now, is there any unreleased stuff that came to light while digging through this stuff or is this this is it? This is it as far as I can tell. I had a dream like when I was finishing this up that I had visited Jonathan that, and that he found a master tape of unreleased material. Wow. <laughs> but it, it's, it's not true. Um, I, I think <laughs> that John Zawiz from InterX made some claim that there was some unreleased stuff, but I think it's, there was unreleased stuff and it's lost now. Um, mm -hmm. Because there was a catalog number reserved for a Jonathan Briley LP um on interx um and that was in some magazine that uh, i'm blanking on the name um but it had a complete interx discography which is not complete mm. but um yeah there's like a jonathan briley tbd lp and also a seven from life tbd lp and those never happened 
So um, it's tough when you start to try to do keep track of your catalog numbers and assign them beforehand while you're working on something. And then it takes too long. Uh, nobody. And I repeat, nobody go looking at my discography to see what order my catalog <laughs> numbers are in compared to when things were released. Well, well, InterX had like two series going on at the same time where it started that you would have like XXX dash zero one and XXX space zero one. And these two series going at the same time or something. And then they <laughs> started randomly like dropping the dash or adding it to the other series. So you, it, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> a little convoluted. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was a lot of pressure for you putting this together, too, because you are a fan. So you wanted to do it justice. I can't imagine, yeah. you know, trying to honor something that you spent so much time collecting and appreciating. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely was pressure, but it was a, a good kind of pressure. <laughs> I, I yeah, it was it was a labor of love. So and it felt great when you got the shipment. Oh, I was also nerve wracking, though, because you're like, oh, like it's it's the best and the worst day because Uh you just want you're just like, please don't let me just open it up. I hope I don't find anything. The cover with Uh with Jonathan, you know, and you're just like, oh, my God. But it must have just felt great. It's like a little off register. Yeah, it must have felt great when you landed. Yeah, I was just like just shaking and before opening the box. (laughs) I have nightmares about that stuff, like getting a CD back and there's a typo or a, it's, yeah. it gives me anxiety dreams. It it does for me too. <laughs> well, I think we've all had it happen. So we know the feeling just like, yep. oh man, <laughs> now I got to deal with this. <laughs> so how long from the time that he gave the approval to sending it off and then getting it, you said about a year. Yeah, it was just over a year. Yeah. And once you gave that approval, you were just on it. Yeah. I mean, I had that approval the first day when I was on the phone with him. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so is it just transferring, mastering and laying out for the next kind of uh, however long, nine months or something and then yeah. sending it off? Yeah. Yeah. And, and trying to, well, and also trying to bug people to see if they did have masters. Um, mm-hmm. So and contacting people who might have other publications with with his stuff in it but um but yeah lots of transfers and masters i'm so happy that you two are still in touch and maintaining That's, communication yeah and that he that he got reinvigorated it sounds yeah like. yeah um yeah when he was listening to it he would uh occasionally text me a, a story about recording one of those tracks. Um, so that was really cool that it was bringing back awesome memories for him. And I, I think he's, I think four days after he got the box, he texted me and said that he did already listened to the whole thing three times. <laughs> so it's so cool to hear that he's enjoying his creations. So and it's been so long, you can be removed from it and, and listen mm-hmm. to it sort of in an objective way. It's not fresh. And that's that's a really cool sort of listening experience to it, too, is that it's it's sort of 
history at this point. So yeah. why not sit down and just, just enjoy it? I know that I had listened all the way through it in, uh, in about two days mm-hmm. um, and have thrown it on since. So I know, you know, that's why we're talking about this thing here is because we were all like, oh, hell yeah, this is a killer <laughs> box. And Yeah, I can't imagine, like, I forget tracks two days later. I'm sure, like, it sounds really yes, good. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, but a couple <laughs> decades later. Never did it. Now, yeah. do you remember any specific stories? I know he says that he did a lot of the recording you know, during ritual. Yeah, he had, he had a, a comment about some of the stuff being recorded under kind of ritual circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. I, in that interview, he doesn't elaborate, um, and he says right. he won't. Um, right, but, of course, uh, and we want to respect yeah. that. Ritual, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, like one of the tracks on At the Mountains of Madness I guess that his mom was closing a door and it was creaking. So we recorded it and the whole track is just um, the sound of that door creaking uh, music concrete processed. Um. I love it. How, I mean, you know, that's some of the best, sometimes you get the best stuff. You just throw a quick record on a creaky hinge and all of a sudden you Uh got a track. Yeah. Variations for a door and a mom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The first album, Darker Prophets, uh, I think it's Into the Vortex, um, that was done 100% on a Korg MS-20. Coincidentally, he sold that to Ron Lassard in 91, and along with his mixing board and reel-to-reel, and I just bought them off Ron Lassard. And they were mailed oh, out. I've seen that so MS-20. Cool. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that MS-20 at Ron's Whoa, place before. Uh-huh. That's incredible. I was just about to ask if you lads that's, ever discuss gear. Yeah, that's... Uh-huh. Now you're trading gear. Now you have... Now it's in... That's so wild. Yeah, and I've always wanted an MS-20. Um, I have an MS-10, but... Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Jonathan, it was like a trip when I told Jonathan that yesterday. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow. Did he elaborate on any other equipment that he used? So basically in 85, he sold his whole firearm collection and bought synthesizers and effects units. Yeah, like 9,000 bucks worth of it. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, in in the space of three weeks. Uh, And just started making music. So we bought, yeah, some Moogs, Korgs, Roland Synth, uh, Tascam Mixer, and Reel-to-Reel. He can't remember what effects units, but he knew there were there were like at least 10 of them. Um, and then he bought a portable recording setup and would just record sounds and go through Boston and... Uh, screaming baby. Ah, let me stick the mic in in its face um, <laughs> uh, until the the mom threatens to call the cops. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, that only adds to it. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of goes to like the style that he worked with, which was this kind of in between industrial and music concrete, using all these found sounds and recordings. And he also had a lot of homemade percussion. He would go to scrapyards. And he had a friend who had a machine shop, so he would build these crazy percussion things. And actually, one of the one of the photos in the booklet um, of him standing in front of a warehouse when Sleep Chamber was on tour, and he went to a uh, scrapyard to get metal to perform that night. Blood fucking off the loss of innocence 
he was telling me that he loved playing that live and he would change it up every time that he he kind of regrets not recording a longer version of that. Yeah, I guess at one of those shows in Texas, because he would do Jonathan Briley sets at these sleep chamber shows too. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So I guess this one venue was uh, like completely filled with skinheads and uh, they weren't sure what was going to happen. So he decided to do that track and uh, uh, leap off the stage and landed on a bar table where some of these skinheads were, were drinking and broke the bar table like knocked everyone to the floor so (laughs) yeah uh yeah that was a funny story wow amazing wow lovely show i don't know do you know anyone who's seen him live uh ron lassard actually oh yeah Um, i mean that would make sense so in an interview in music machine from about 10 years ago ron says that his first noise show was a Jonathan Briley show. And that's actually the recording on the throwaways disc. Wow. That's, that's so yeah. cool. crazy. And we were all just talking about our first that's, noise show. That's, too. So, that's so dude, funny. How cool is that? That is I know. Ron's first noise <laughs> oh show. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was crazy. Talk and the, about history. Yeah, and the fact that the only like full live show that we have is that show, which I may have been Jonathan's first show. Wow. I'm not sure. Oh man, that's so that's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> that's really incredible. Yeah. Are there any other tracks he had any specific things to say about? Um I I remember him saying that he has that one of his favorite tracks was uh, Street God, Street Violence, um, which is on um, the God Bless America comp on Triple yeah. R. So that's on the, the mm-hmm. comp CD and there's a live version. Um, it's I guess it was, it was inspired by a Harlan Ellison short story um, that I've been meaning to track down and read. Yeah, so those are kind of the main stories uh, that he told me about. I'm pretty partial to the Hunter track based on uh, James Huberty. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. yes. Yes. So, you know, that, that's yeah. certainly one. Well, I'm that certainly has to. a San Diego connection. Definitely. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. Full, yeah. full connection. Uh-huh. Yeah, that one's, yeah, that one's a really good one. And there's, there's two versions of it. There's the, the one on Darker Prophets and then, there's the version on Never Say When that Broken Flag put out and um, had to make sure that they were actually different, and they are. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite disc? Do you have a favorite? It's tough. I mean, I, I love that 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 comp disc, yeah. but of the original releases, uh, it, it's hard to choose between Darker Prophets, um, The Will to Power, and At the Mountains of Madness. So good. Yeah. Great. What about you, buddy? I've sort of let the box wash over me a couple times, and I don't know that I've picked out a favorite, but I might have to go with the will to power. I think just the sort of tone of that disc really sits nicely with me. 
I'm telling you, that compilation, track eight, there's this sizzle, this synthetic sizzle that happens. I just get really excited every time. It's like this this decomposing electronic sound, and every time I hear it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's the one. That's it. I mean, the whole box is just this great look into mid to late 80s. -hmm. Like you said, it straddles that line. I feel industrial is... That's what I would say. I feel it's a good umbrella yeah, for yeah. so much stuff. And it's just that great primitive recording techniques. I mean, great. Did you pick any anything out gear wise that you're like, oh, that's definitely one of those pedals or one of those 80s boxes? Now, there's so much sort of... Uh... Merc, you know, it's very atmospheric work and I can, when everything's sort of obscured like that, and especially when we're talking about something from the mid eighties and something coming from, you know, not, not being taken from like the original masters or even the dub masters, but sort of production copies, regardless of cleaning up that Merc is still there, that like layer of duplication and, and mixed down and everything. And so it's a little harder for me to pick out any sort of specific thing on it. It doesn't surprise me to hear that he was using an MS 20, but there's nothing where I'm like, Oh, that's MS 20. That's this or that. Yeah. Where on some things and, and even some sort of like late eighties, early nineties stuff, I feel like you can kind of pick that out a little better, but maybe it's sort of the quality of recording or pressing or whatever, you know, material we've been given, or it's a little more obvious. It's not in this thing, but the atmosphere is so heavy with these pieces that you know we talk about this and we've talked about sort of dark ambient industrial kind of stuff a few times and it's so much about a mood to me as much as an active listening experience where i will put this on just when i want to feel like the lights are off you know (laughs) like just Uh when i want that uh incense nighttime lock the doors kind of vibe and this this will bring it so it's an exciting listen because it's such high quality material and it's also very individualistic. I feel like this is Briley. And so it sounds like Briley. It's not, it's easy to give it a genre tag or something, but it's, it's a very unique type of work. The type of samples he uses, the structures of the tracks, everything. It's very much, uh, you know, one person's mind and getting to hear sort of their complete discography is, I, it's really exciting, but doesn't, Nothing stands out as far as like this is that rhythm box or this right. synth. Yeah. Also, it sounds like he had a boatload of stuff he was using. Yeah. So, yeah. like, uh-huh. and I'm so fascinated by you saying that he sold guns to purchase equipment because his sound, if it is, you know, based in even if it's a private ritual, that act in itself is giving a certain energy and, t- and infusing his equipment with a certain energy. And then his, and then that is coming through on the track and also the ritual that he's partaking in. So yeah, if we're just, yeah. if we're just, we're going to talk about a, a mystical or esoteric exchange of energy. This, all of these sounds are so loaded. Mm-hmm. Now, did he give you any indication of why he stopped making music, what he had been doing for the past decades or not really? Um, well, I, I think just a lot of things, um, culminated with i mean his solo work kind of stopped 
like except except for live stuff stopped in 88 so really these recordings are 85 to 88 kind of uh drifted apart from the people involved with sleep chamber and he's certainly not the first <laughs> one to leave but he had just but he just stopped doing music just at, moved just on. totally yeah and sold I, i'm not sure um how he sold all his gear um but obviously those three things he sold to to ron um yeah, yeah. <laughs> until you found him now is there any indication that he might want to try to do some stuff again with his with this new reinvigoration or is he content with having this box be the final statement you know i i haven't really asked him um um i i think on our our first call he mentioned about how he hears about all that you can do with music on computers now but that he didn't have the time to think about that um mm -hmm. but uh but yeah um you never know. <laughs> never know. Well, this was so cool getting a behind-the-scenes look at this fantastic box set. Now, still available from you, correct? Yeah. Um, starting to run a bit low. Um, but, Great. Uh, That's good news. Good. Yeah. We, of course, uh -huh. have links now. People to listen. And there's also international distro, correct, for people in Canada yeah. and Europe? Yeah. Um, I, th I think in Canada... Uh, um, Screaming Writhe still has copies, um, and in Europe, um, I'm sending more copies to Tesco uh, tomorrow. I think everything's right. sold out otherwise in Europe, um, and then um, you can order from me in the U.S., and Cloyster also is stocking up. Great, great. We'll, we'll have links up so everyone can make sure to pick this up before it disappears because it sounds like it's on its way out. And a great look. Uh, unless at... it demands a repress. <laughs> well, hey, there you go. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Uh -huh. But a great look at 80s industrial culture from a very unique and individual artist. So thank you, Kyle, for putting this out. Thank you, Jonathan, for making this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on and for discussing this. Um, it, it's really fun talking about it, and I'm so glad that you and seems like so many people are enjoying it. Um, we certainly are. So pick it up and put it on. And now we're going to head over to the Patreon for the Extra Noise Extra, and we're going to discuss some tape collecting stuff and Kyle has one of the best cassette collections for sure. And discuss maybe some Holy grail labels, some. There's a wall of tapes yeah. right behind him and I've been yeah, staring at it the entire <laughs> yes. time. So, I mean, he yeah. was a Riley completionist. Come yeah. On. So, you know, <laughs> that you shows know you like early on. <laughs> so, we'll see ya. Over on the Extra Noise Extra. And make sure to pick up the Jonathan Briley box. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices. And by our Patreon supporters. 
You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noise extra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.